morning church. Um, it's really good to be here. Um, it's a privilege to be bringing God's word to you this morning. Um, it's not a light thing, so before I start, I just want to pray. Yeah, Father, I thank you so much, God, that we have your living word with us. Lord, I thank you for your church, your people who you love and care for. And Lord, I pray that even as I speak, help me, Lord. I need you to proclaim your word in truth without error. And so I pray, help me, but also help us to receive your word. Speak to us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so... We've been um, in a series this summer from the book of Psalms, whether you're new, that's if you're new in case you're new, or you just joined us in this summer series. And one thing I want to say right off the bat is that I just love the strapline that the team have given this series, and that's Songs for All Seasons, because literally that's what the Psalms are. If you've ever read a Psalm before, had any interaction with it, you would know. You start reading just a few Psalms and you're like, hold on. Hold on, hold on. This psalm is literally expressing in raw terms just how I feel about life, just how I feel about God, and I just don't have any words to articulate them. And that's why this man, his name's called Athanasius. He was an early African Christian. He said this about the psalms. He said, it is possible for us to find in them not only the reflection of the state of our own soul, but also words with which to please the Lord in every of life's occasions. And it's so true. There's literally a psalm for every season. I, I still remember vividly when I, for one, of the, yeah, one of the first times I encountered the Psalms for myself. It was when I was in my teens. I was far from God. I was not following Christ. In fact, in, I was in this very area caught up in gang activity. And as you would, or as what tends to usually happen, you get into beef, you get into conflict with people. And I got into conflict with a few guys. And because of my Christian upbringing, I ran to my house, ran straight into the book of Psalms because I was scared. In all honesty, I was scared despite the mask that I would put on. And I ran straight into the book of Psalms, and it was actually in Psalm 91 where I found comfort from God because it spoke of God's mighty protection for the person who puts their trust in him. Slowly but surely, the whole beef died down, and I was back on these streets again. And so just a side note, do not take God for granted. The scriptures speak about how his kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. But nonetheless, in that moment, I will never forget um, me finding God in the Psalms. So my prayer for you this morning is that, be it whether you're young or old, that you would know God speaking to you this morning from the Psalms. But my message isn't from Psalm 91. In fact, it's from Psalm 65. So let's turn there. Um, it's going to come up on the screen as well, and then we'll read it. And then after that, we'll get into the meat of the message. So from Psalm 65. So from verse 1, it says, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope 
of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their ways, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. This is the word of the living God. Now, the title of this message is God Deserves Our Praise. And it wasn't hard for me to come up with that title because it's very obvious, it's very clear. King David, who wrote this psalm, who sung it, he um, makes it very clear from verse 1 that praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. You see, with all the wealth he had attained, all the experiences that he had, all the knowledge that he had accumulated, all the traditions and other people groups and nations he had an encounter with, he wanted the people of his day and us thousands of, years, thousands of years later to know that there is no one and no thing worthy of ultimate praise apart from Israel's God alone. And that's such a crucial message for us to not only hear, but receive today. Not only that God deserves our ultimate praise for reasons which we will see in a moment, but that the God David is speaking of is the God who revealed himself to Israel and who has made himself known to the world in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, in our society today, and in fact in most societies throughout history, it's the praise of the people that is most demanded. Our praise is almost like our own personal vote. That's why people do so much to get your praise. Our praise nominates that which becomes important in society, from the politicians in power, to the most popular football player, to the trainers you'd wear, even down to the type of um, music that you'll see promoted on your TV. That's why, for instance, when I think of this whole debate that's going on um, about drill music and it's linked to youth violence. Um, there's good arguments for why it should be banned, but the one thing that I think we tend to forget is that there's an increasing demand for this music. And when I say demand, here demand is praise. And so the first question is, why is there an increase in praise and demand for this type of music in the first place? You see, the collective praise of a people nominates that which becomes important. That's why in our culture here in the West, secular humanism has become the new and dominant religion, the worldview that life can be all well and good without God and without his word. And if you've read the Bible before, you know that's a recipe for disaster. The Bible says that unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. And I remember when I was speaking to one of our um, youth leaders, I was trying to just find out, trying to gauge what type of questions are the young people asking today? And I was shocked because the question that came up was, what about other religions? How can we defend Christianity against other religions? And I was shocked for two reasons. Firstly, because in my day, the big question was, what about sex before marriage? <laughs> Seriously. But then the second reason why I was shocked is because with that question being asked, what it showed me is that the underlying belief that no God is superior to any other God 
that all gods are equal was becoming very dominant. And so if you want to speak of a God who says, my glory I share with no other, there's no one like me and to whom all are accountable, then you need to be quiet. You need to stay in the corner. And so that's the reality. Our culture today does not want Jesus. And so it has praised, it has voted for a religion that silences and privatizes all things related to him. But that might have painted a bleak picture, but there's hope because all of us were dead in our sin. All of us were hardened of heart and the gospel of Jesus Christ brought us near. So there is hope for our nation. But, that's, but, but even with that, it's no surprising that when in the very life of our Lord Jesus, when he was here on the earth, it, when, when he was tempted by the devil, it was who he praised that became and formed that final temptation. As if to say who you praise or you stand or fall depending on who you praise. And so the question is, where does your praise lie? We read about it in Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted, but he responds, the son of David, yet greater than David, says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In other words, Jesus was saying, praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. Your praise is important, church. And so if you're in Christ today, one of the reasons why you've been adopted into God's family, according to Ephesians 1.6, is so that your life would be one of praise to God because of his glorious grace. But what we see when we read the rest of this psalm, we see clearly that our praise of God only goes so far as our knowledge of him. I'll repeat that. Our praise of God only goes so far as our knowledge of him. And this may be the reason why for some of us, when we're gathered together as a church to worship, you might find it hard. You're thinking, oh, I just can't wait for the anchor person to come up and say it's time for notices. <laughs> I know it. And the thing is, I know it because I've been there. I've been there. Or when you're going through tough seasons in life, things are going, they're hard. And your heart would rather curse God than praise him. You see, praising God can be difficult, if not impossible, without the knowledge of God himself, without the knowledge of God. And if you think I'm lying, go and speak to Richard Dawkins. Ask him, please sing, bless the Lord, O my soul. It won't happen because he hasn't got the knowledge of God. And that's why um, Jesus in um, John chapter 17, a famous prayer, he says this, eternal life is knowing the Father and knowing Jesus Christ, who the Father had sent. That's why in Ephesians 4, in Ephesians 4, it says that Christ gave gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors, so that we all may grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. And so David starts this song, this psalm in Psalm 65, by saying, praise is due to God. But then from verses 2 onwards, he spells out exactly why that is. He knew God, and so it was his knowledge of God that enabled him to praise. And so in verses 5 and 8, it speaks about God's work of creation and his presence now in sustaining it. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus Christ, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so that reminds us of his power, not only his power, but his commitment and preservation of this world right now. God is worthy of praise. But then in verses 9 to 13, it also, David speaks about God's provision. And though none of us here, I'm, not, I'm sure anyway, none of us are farmers, we need to constantly be reminded that it's actually God who feeds us. It's not our wealth. It's not your power. Jesus says that the Father allows his sun to shine and his rain to fall, both on the godly and the ungodly. 
And so we know it's him who gives us the ability to even make wealth in the first place. And for these things alone, I could just end here because God is worthy of praise. But I'm going to focus the rest of this message on verses 2 to 4. Because there, David highlights three things about God's character that would help us grow and increase in the knowledge of God. And my hope is that after we've gone through it, you would agree, and as a church, as a people, we would overflow in praise to God. And so the first is, God hears. God hears. David says in verse 2, O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. And as I was preparing that, I was reminded of tragedy. Tragedy. These past few years, we've seen an increase in tragedy. I don't think it's nothing new. Again, we live in a fallen world, but by the grace and the kingdom of Jesus Christ, tragedy will one day end completely. But it has increased. It's heightened. I mean, you think of terrorist attacks that have taken place in London, in Paris. You think of knife crime on our very streets. You think of forest fires and other disasters that take place. And when these things happen, when they happen instinctively, religious or not, we all cry out to God. Some would say they cry out to another, to a power beyond them, but we all cry out. We all cry out to God. And social media gets painted with all sorts of hashtags, pray for London or pray for Sudan, and rightly so, because we need God's help. But not to take away from the seriousness of these matters, not to take away from it whatsoever, I at times can't, I find it hard not to think, especially in this day and age where we would say that there's no God. And if there is a God, then he's definitely not a personal being, but some sort of energy. Then what is the point of prayer? Why should we pray? If God is not a personal being, why are we crying out to God in times of tragedy and pain, expecting him to not only hear our prayer, but to show us love? But I'm here to tell you, family, that's not true of the living God. That's not true of the living God. The God who David speaks of in this psalm, the God who revealed himself in the face of Jesus Christ, he hears prayer. He hears prayer and he is worthy of praise for it. And so if you're not a believer in Christ, you're not a believer in Jesus, I want you to know that prayer comes to this God alone. Doesn't go to Allah, doesn't go to Buddha, doesn't go to Krishna, doesn't go to any African spiritual deity. It goes to the Father through Jesus Christ alone. And in fact, just to add, just to add, it doesn't go to any European remake of Jesus either. It goes to the God, it goes to the God, it goes to the God who made humanity from one man. The God who created and loves us and calls people from all nations, tribes, and tongues. I just want to go through a few passages, a bit of a Bible study as it were, because it's easy at times to think we live in a unique time. It's very easy to think that, as if in David's day there weren't other people who trusted in other competing gods. But at each time, it was always the God of Israel who heard and answered prayer. So in Genesis 16, we read about a lady called Hagar. She was an Egyptian slave, a servant. And she had been mistreated by her master. And so she runs away. Nothing is said about whether she called on her ancestors' gods or not. But what we find and what we read is that the angel of Yahweh, angel basically means messenger, the messenger of Yahweh found her and spoke with her. And we read this, it says, And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. 
So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a goddess seeing, for she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. God heard her affliction. That's just one example. Exodus 2, a few hundred years later, the nation of Israel are now in slavery, oppressed. And Joshua, a fellow Israelite, tells us that they weren't a righteous bunch. In fact, during this very time, they were worshipping other gods, other idols. But we read in verses 23 and 24, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. Or how about Jonah? Jonah runs away from God. God's called him. He's a prophet. Come, do my will. He runs the other way. And he ends up on a ship with different people from different nations. And a storm comes and everyone gets scared. And as you would, people start calling out to their gods, save us, help us, save us. Jonah's sleeping though. He wakes up and they ask him, why are you not calling out to your God? And he says, I worship Yahweh, the Lord of heaven and earth. And then this is what I love. Check what happens. So in verse 14 of chapter one, this is what then happens. It says this, therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea and the sea seized from its raging. You see, no longer are they calling on their local gods. They're now calling on the God, the one and only God who hears prayer. To you, O Lord, shall all flesh come. And church, our God, he hears every cry. He hears every prayer. He has heard the prayers that you've uttered without words. He heard the prayers of my mum all those years when I was dead in my sin. He heard it. He heard the prayers of my Muslim friend in Nigeria who was suffering from sleep paralysis. But when he called on the name of Jesus, he was set free. You see, he and he alone hears prayer. And because of that, we should give him praise. But David, David doesn't stop there. He continues to give us more reason to praise God. And so in verse three, he says this, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. You see, God not only hears our prayers, kings, but he atones for our sin. And this transition from God hearing our prayers to God atoning for our sin, it reminds me of when, you know, you receive a gift from someone that you did not expect to receive it from. Has ever happened to you before? You receive a gift and you're wondering and you're saying to yourself, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this gift. I don't know when your birthday is. I've never considered even getting you a gift. I do not deserve this. I don't deserve it. And the reality is, is that you will never understand how praiseworthy God is for even hearing, in fact, even listening to your prayers. If you haven't first grasped how undeserving you are of relationship with him because of your sin. David, this same David who wrote this psalm, who penned it, he says this elsewhere. He says, God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And this was a man who knew he sinned. He was broken. He knew he was broken. He had slept with another man's wife and in the process of trying to cover it up, killed him. You see, outside of Christ, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, each of us are plagued by sin iniquities and transgressions. They're big words, but they just speak of our collective rebellion against God, be it by our words, be it by our thoughts, be it by our actions. Our very nature is to go against God's goodness. God, out of love, created a fully functioning world. 
And then he creates us to bear his image, to reflect him in this world. And he says, multiply. He says, enjoy. He says, take charge. But do so in accordance with my terms, under my loving care and authority. And then we say to him, nah, I've got this. I've got this, Lord. I've got this. I want to create my own path. In fact, I want to be God. And I'll never forget when um, my daughter, Iva, I love her, and she, um, she had a, like, a fascination with sockets and wall plugs and whatnot. And um, <laughs> yeah, huge fascination. But she couldn't speak at the time. She couldn't speak at the time. And so there was one day she was heading towards one, and I said to her, Iva, don't touch. And she looked at me as if to say, Daddy, I've seen you. In fact, Daddy, I've heard you. <laughs> but I'm not going to obey you. And I remember in that moment just thinking, wow, God's word is so true when it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, none of us are perfect. Sin prevails against us. You may have said, you may have cried out many times and said to God, you know what, I'm not going to watch porn again. I'm not going to go out and get wasted again. I'm not going to be violent towards my family. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Whatever it may be for you. And then we go back to it and repeat the cycle again. Paul puts it this way in um, Romans. He says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And that's the stark reality of life at times. And the truth is we're not excused from it. We're not excused because God is holy. Because God is perfect and righteous, our sin deserves his justice. It deserves his wrath. It deserves eternal separation from him in hell. But this is where the good news comes in, and this is why David is calling us in this psalm to praise, because God does not leave us there. Someone say, God does not leave us there. He doesn't. He atones for our sin. He atones for it. And when I was preparing this, I was thinking, God, how do I um, demonstrate this? How do I demonstrate this? And... What was interesting, I was reminded of sexual abuse and harassment. And so I know it's a very sensitive topic. And so if you are suffering or have suffered <clears throat> in any way, I want you to know that what has happened to you is not right. It is wrong. And God sees you just as he saw Hagar. And he's able to come into any situation and heal it. And so don't suffer in silence. Speak to someone. Speak to a pastor speak to a trusted friend. We have um, a pastoral care clinic every first Monday of the month, I believe, and the next one's on the 2nd of September. But do not suffer in silence. But if for a moment you just imagine the person, a person who had been convicted of such a crime, you know, their face is out there on the news, everyone knows it, the media have dug into their background to find out what other evil things, what other evil acts has this person done? The weight of guilt and shame is crushing them, and with that, they're receiving the scorn of the public, and rightly so, because justice must be served. And we look at them and think, yuck, I would never be like you. I would never do such a thing. The twist, however, is that before the court of God in heaven, outside of Christ, that is how each one of us stand before him. In fact, even worse. We're naked, we're exposed, and there's nowhere to hide from him. Nowhere to hide. And the only thing that is waiting to be served to us is justice. But the good news is that in God's court, atonement is made possible. 
Instead of us receiving the just punishment for our sins, God not only covers us, but he releases us from the power of sin. And that's because his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came into this very earth and lived a perfect life. And instead of being glorified in that moment for what he did, he was instead crucified for us. He received the scorn and shame of the public. And more than that, he received the full wrath of God against human sin and rebellion. And this is why John, one of his disciples, could say this, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. That means that sacrifice was perfect. It was a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And that's amazing news. And so if you're a believer in Christ today, you, you, God deserves your praise. But if you're not following Christ, then know this. God sent his son into the world so that you won't perish but have eternal life. And so he calls you to repent and follow him. And then lastly, David says, praise is due to you, O God, because he does what? He draws us near. David says in verse four, oh, I just read it, but I'm going to read it again. <laughs> Blessed is the one you choose. Blessed is the one you choose. That's what he says in verse four. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. And sometimes when I'm um, teaching in the youth ministry, um, and I can see my younger brothers and sisters, they're very quiet. Their words are basically saying, Moses, come on, just stop and move on. I sometimes think to myself, but imagine if a famous artist came into this room right now. This whole place would be changed. It would be turned upside down. And sometimes that is the same manner in which we approach God. We lack the awe and wonder that we should have because we're able to come into his presence, into his courts, into the courts of the one who created the universe. We become too familiar with relationship with him that we forget how much it cost the Lord Jesus to make it even possible. And it was when I was reading this book, it was comparing and contrasting um, the difference between God according to Islam and God according to the Bible that I realized, wow, God deserves my praise for drawing me near. I've received such mercy and grace. And it's in this book. It's called um, No God But One. It was written by a man called Nabil Qureshi, who was a Muslim um, who became a Christian and met the Lord Jesus. And it's called Allah or Jesus. And it reads this. Allah intends man to pursue the relationship of a servant to his master, but not the relationship of a child with his father. Nothing in the Quran suggests that Allah desires intimacy with humanity. According to Christian teachings, though, God is our father. He loves us as a perfect father, and he will always love us so. He wants us to have an intimate relationship with him, turning to him with our fears and failures, with our dreams and victories. He wants us to rejoice with him and in him. And this is so deep. This is refreshing because I remember, I remember fully well what it was like when I was outside of Christ. And some of you might be in that position right now. And others of you need to be reminded of how it was before you knew Jesus Christ. God was so distant so far. In fact, I thought being close to him was an impossibility because of my life and my past. But when I found out, when I found out that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came into this very world to look for people like me. He came into this very world to look and draw near sinners like me. Everything changed. I know I was forgiven. 
I knew I was cleansed and I knew I didn't, that didn't come about because I started doing any good works, but because the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. This is why God deserves our praise, church. And Ephesians 2.13, it puts it this way. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And that's why, church, now more than ever, apart from receiving and cherishing the grace of God that we've received, we need to stand with King Jesus and call the world to be reconciled to God. The gospel has made it possible for people from all nations, tribes and tongues to be brought near to the living God. And I'm going to close my message here, but before I do, I want to exhort us as a church to live lives of praise. As we've seen through this psalm, Psalm 65, it starts with the knowledge of God. So I want to encourage us all, including myself, spend time getting to know God. Spend time in prayer. Spend time reading his word. Access has been made possible through Jesus Christ. But more importantly, see God. See him in the face of Jesus. Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God. And so draw close to him. But I want to finish where we started. And so if we can stand, I want us to say this declaration together. It's, yeah, it's on the screen. And so it says this. Praise is due to you, O God, for you hear us, you atone for our sin, and you reach out in order to draw us near. You sustain creation you provide for us. Amen. Let me just pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, firstly, that you are deserving of all praise. Lord, every lip, every heart, every soul should praise you. Lord, even creation that doesn't have a soul, Lord God, praises you. And Lord, we who you've created in your image are called to praise you. Lord, we know that comes and starts with the knowledge of God. And so we ask God, help us to know you. Lord, fill us with your spirit, Lord. For those of us who may be far, Lord, help us to know that the gospel has brought us near, that we can come near through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But God, we pray, help us not to be distracted, Lord. Help us to grow to know you. Lord, your word says that the spirit of a man knows the innermost thoughts of a man, and therefore the spirit of God knows the innermost thoughts of God. Help us to know and have relationship, fellowship with your spirit, so that we may know you and therefore live lives of praise to you, God, in our homes, in our schools, in our work, in all of life. God, we ask this of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.